You didn't know it was going to be Sunday morning cartoons. <laughs> Some of you might uh, think, hmm, wouldn't that be great to have three wishes? Wouldn't that be great to have a genie in my corner where I could wish for three just amazing things and ah, I could get whatever I want, right? Well, as we come to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7 this morning, Jesus gives us this promise, right? He gives us promise about asking and receiving, but he puts some parameters around us, and we're going to see this morning um, what that means for us, that it's not like we are his master and we can ask him for anything we want and he'll give it to us. Instead, we're actually his servant, right? We're his humble servant. We're supposed to humble ourselves before the Lord. To be his disciple means to follow him as he leads us, not to try to tell him what to do for us. So as we walk through the chapter 7 this morning, remember, think of yourself as a disciple, that you're walking with Jesus. We're still in the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching the people about some very important things and sit there thinking, what can I learn from Jesus today as his disciple, as his humble servant, not as someone who's trying to control him or tell him what to do, but to receive from him what he has for me. So let's open up in prayer. Lord, we, uh, we ask that you bless us in this time. We ask that you watch over us through the scripture, that you give us a clear thoughts and, and an understanding heart, and that we can not only hear, but that we could put it into practice, Lord. And so, Lord, bless us in this time, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as we start the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, we see that Jesus tells us in something important. He tells us, do not judge. He tells us this because he knows we have a tendency to judge others. We judge others because when we do, maybe in our own lives, we look better than they do, right? So if we judge them and we put them down and we see that they're not as good as us because we judge them right, then we feel like, hey, I'm not so bad, right? Or we judge others because we know that God has set standards and, and we can't reach that standard, but if we can at least reach that standard better than someone else around us, then we're doing okay, right? But see, it isn't a competition about who is a less sinner, because we are all sinners. It's not a competition at all. It's something that we are supposed to give ourselves over to God and say, God, let me focus on myself. See, when we judge others, we have our eyes on others, not on ourselves. We, we don't think about what's going on in our life. We're only concerned about what other people are doing wrong. And so therefore, we lose track of who we are so, supposed to be in Christ. We have to understand that when we judge others, we look down upon them and we don't love them as God wants us to love them. When we judge others, we put them into categories, right? And it keeps us from seeing what God can do in and through another person. When we judge other people, we create anger from those who we judge. Have you ever done that? Have you ever judged someone and see how they react when you judge them? When we judge others, we will not have the opportunity to share the gospel, right? Because we're not able to establish friendships with those whom we are judging. When we just judge others, we do it out of jealousy because maybe they're doing something that we want to do or they have something that we want, and so we, we judge them for that. When we judge others, we keep ourselves from being able to see what kind of person God can make them to be, right? We judge them for who they are now instead of who God can make them to be. When we judge others, 
we have trouble forgiving them, right? As God has forgiven us. And so Jesus says, do not judge because you have sin in your own life. You have sin in your own life. So therefore, you should not put yourself in the place of a judge over another. See, Jesus tells us we should be more concerned with our own life and the sin that is in our life than the sin that is in others' life. Because we can't be a true follower of Christ. We can't be a disciple if we're not thinking about what's going on in our life. If we're not saying, God, where do I need to prove my life? Where do I need to give you more of my life? How can I be a follower of Christ if I'm not giving myself fully over to you? And if I'm not looking at my sin, if I'm concerned with others, then I am not walking as a disciple of Christ. So Jesus tells us not to judge. As a pastor, a lot of times if I'm at a gathering and I meet someone new, I don't tell them I'm a pastor right away. Now, I don't keep from telling them that because I'm ashamed of it, and I don't keep from doing that because I'm ashamed of being a Christian. The reason why I hold back for a while telling them that is because you should see people's reactions when they say, oh, and what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. Oh, and, and oftentimes, literally, they will take a step back as if, like, if I separate myself from that pastor, then I'm... I'm not in the present, I don't know, holiness or something? I don't know. I know I'm not holy, but maybe people have this, this imagination, right, where they say, oh, you're a pastor. And the conversation often changes, right? It often changes. I remember when I was in college, I, there's this music department, they had this gathering place, right? And I'd be walking in, and, and I could tell that they were telling dirty jokes or swearing, whatever, and complete silence when I walk in. And no more jokes, right? And that's how it is. You're in a party or you're in a gathering and you say, what do you do? I'm a pastor. So I don't tell them that right away. And so we talk and, and I try to let them just get to know me as a person, right? And then after that, when they find out I'm a pastor, they don't have that same reaction. They don't have that same fear, right? And they see that I'm a person who cares and loves and wants to listen to them. And oftentimes, when they find out I'm a pastor, they'll share some of the depths of their struggles in life with me. It's amazing how when you're loving and caring about people, how they open up to you. But when you're judging, you just close off that door immediately. It's like Esau's fable where the north wind and the sun had this competition, right? The competition was who could get the man to take his cloak off the fastest, right? And so the north wind starts and the north wind blows and blows and blows and his wind Cold and the harder he blows, the, the more the man wraps his cloak around himself. And then it's the sun's turn, and, and out comes the warmth and the heat of the sun. And the warmer the get, it gets, the more the man opens his coat until he finally takes his cloak off. See, judging is like the north wind, where we're blowing this cold air at people, and they just close themselves off. But when we are loving like the sun, when we shine the warmth of God's love, then they open themselves up to talk with us and to hear from us. We are no better than others. We are sinners. Therefore, Jesus says that we will be judged by how we judge others. Even though we're not called to judge, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have morals or standards the Bible clearly teaches us that we are to follow the law of God and we're to share that law with others, that we are to walk in obedience to God and we're to live as God calls us to live. We are called to do that. But we are not to be the judge and the jury 
The Bible tells us clearly that that is God's role. And yet someone might say, well, how about courts and, and judges? I mean, they judge, right? So if we're not supposed to judge, then why do we have courts and, and judges? And what's amazing is God has set up this system, right? And he set aside certain people, these judges, and, and they work within the parameters of the law, right? And they're given the parameters of the law, and they're, they're given guidelines on how they are to make judgments based on the evidence that is given to them. But see, what's, what's important here is that it's an earthly judgment, isn't it? It's a, it's a lawful judgment. We need to be careful when we start making eternal judgments on people, right? Look at that sinner. They'll never be saved. Look at that person who's lost. They'll never be found, right? And we make judgments about people all the time, right? They're so into their money, they'll never be able to find Jesus. And God says, no, do not judge. And instead, offer forgiveness to people. But Jesus continues in his teaching. And again, whenever you see yellow, please read with me. Matthew 7, 7 to 8, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I'll imagine that probably none of you ever have to use a key to get into your, I mean, uh, knock at the door to get into your house. Maybe if you forgot your key, you might have to knock. But for the most part, you drive in the garage and you go into the garage or you have a key to the front door, right? You don't have to knock. But Jesus, even though we think, well, God knows everything about us, right? God, why do we have to ask for anything? Jesus says, no, I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to knock. Jesus tells us to do that because basically what he's saying to us is pray, pray, pray. Let me say that again. Ask, seek, knock. What he's saying is pray, pray, pray. See, Jesus knows that we have a tendency to fall into sin and to stray from God. And so he says, you need to continually seek after me. You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to knock. And when we Knock on the door. We find God waiting there for us. It's not that God is playing hide and seek. It's that, not that God is unconcerned with our life. He's very concerned. He's very personal. He is always present. But he knows we're not always present with him. And so we have to come to him and we have to ask and seek. and knock. We have to seek after him. We have to do an action to reach out to God who's already there waiting for us. And remember that God is there waiting for us, waiting for us to come into his very presence. And what do we get when we ask and we seek and we knock? We will find God. We will see that God is there waiting for us, ready to interact with us. We realize that God is personal God who desires to be in an intimate relationship with you and with me. We discover that God wants to to hear our prayers to come to him in prayer, and that he will allow us to partner with him in the work he wants to do in this world. Yet we have to be careful. See, this is where the whole Aladdin genie thing kind of comes in, right? We read this, these verses and we say, oh, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Anything I want, God will give me, right? 
I get three wishes. I get to ask, and I get to seek, and I get to knock, and, and he's my genie, and he'll give me whatever I want. So to kind of uh, put this in perspective, let me read a verse from you from John chapter 14, verse 13. Jesus says this, And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Sounds really good, huh? I will do whatever you ask in my name. But then there's a qualifier. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, the second phrase, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, is very important. As a parent, you would never give your children something that's going to harm them. You would never lead your child down a path that would be hurtful for them. You would not give them anything and everything you, they ask for. At least I hope you don't give your children anything and everything they ask for. Because not everything that they want is good for them. And when they're young, they don't know what is good for them and what is not. We have to make those decisions God will not give us anything and everything we want because he knows not all things are good for us to have. And so what he does give us is that which glorifies his name, that which fits within the will of God, that which goes for your life and my life. He knows what he has for us in store, right? And he wants us to partner with him in the life he has for us. He wants to partner with him in the ministry that is there before us. And so we ask and we seek And we knock and we will find Jesus. And we ask and we seek and we knock and we receive the power of God working in and through us. We ask and we seek and we knock. And we discover that God gives to us generously. My mother, when she was alive, lived in Prescott, Arizona. And at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, but we would drive out to Prescott and when we got near to Prescott, there was like this fork in the road. Literally two ways you could get to Prescott. We could go straight, and going straight was through the mountains. And so it was very windy. It was a more difficult uh, drive. It was quicker in terms of time, but you had to drive slow and take your time, and, and it was not an easy drive. Or you could go left, and it would take you around the mountains, Still get you to Prescott, Arizona. It was an easier drive. And oftentimes when we went there, we would go left and we would go around the mountains because it was just a nice, smooth ride. And as I thought about that, when I was writing this sermon, I thought, you know, that's kind of like how people live their lives, right? They don't choose to follow Jesus because it's more challenging. It's more difficult. It's a, it's a windier kind of road. Instead, they choose to follow the ways of the world. They give themselves over to the ideologies of the world, and they they buy into the morals of the world that says anything and, and everything is okay, and everything should be supported and accepted. They don't want to go against the flow for being for fear of being judged or attacked by, by the world or looked down upon. They go this route because they think it is the, the easier and the better path to take. But Jesus says. Matthew 7, 14. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And what? And only a few find it. Now that's a sad statement, right? We wish that that statement would say, and everybody finds it, because that means that everybody would find Jesus. And that's what we want. We want everybody to find Jesus. But Jesus is, is a realist here. He knows what's going on in the world. And he says only a few find it, because the road to Jesus is a more difficult road. 
being a Christian in the world isn't easy because you have to say that there are things that are wrong. You have to tell people that they shouldn't live a certain way. There's things that are not acceptable. You have to set yourself apart and live differently. You have to seek Jesus and let him be the Lord and let God guide your life instead of choosing for yourself. We went to this birthday party yesterday, and at this birthday party, there's this doctor there, and we go to these these friends' party every year, and he's there every year, and every year, he has more and more stories. He works at UCLA Hospital, and he's always praying with people. He hears of their circumstances and their, their sickness, and he sees that some people have no hope, and so he prays for them, and his job is in jeopardy. They're constantly looking for ways to fire him because they don't want him praying with people. That's the world we live in. It's a more difficult world when we stand up for Jesus and we live in the way he calls us to live. We need to make righteousness the rule. We need to live according to the will of God and to the law of God and the commands of God. We need to live as true Christ followers. We need to live in a way that someone looks at us and says, you're different. What's the difference? You have hope. Why do you have hope? You love in a different way. Why is that true? You forgive me even when I do terrible things. How is that? People need to look at us and say, you're a Christ follower. They might not like it, but they notice it. Righteousness needs to be our rule. Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, we need to understand that sin is bad, and righteousness, though more difficult to follow, is actually good. It is better. We first find life in Christ that narrow way where there is our parameters and there's specific beliefs and specific ways to live. We find life by truly coming to Christ as a follower and a disciple and let him teach us and lead us and guide us and be the Lord of our life. And I promise you, in the end, your life will be so much more better, so much better, so much more meaningful. We need to stop there for a second. Uh, many years ago, uh, I, I was doing missions in Mexico, and different than what I'm doing now. And I went with a church from uh, Camarillo when I was there. And we went to this village just inside of Tijuana. And this one particular year, we were given the task of upgrading a house. So we weren't going to build a new house. Sometimes we did that. But we're going to build, upgrade a house. It was a two-room house. And this house had holes in the, the roof and only tar paper for our walls and holes in the, in the walls, and it sat on dirt. That was its foundation, dirt. So whenever it rained, and it was kind of by a hill, so whenever it rained, the, the water would just come in and they would have mud for their floor. And like their bed, they had these bricks that held up their bed above the, the, the dirt. You could just imagine this house, right? Two rooms. And our goal in two days was to upgrade this house. So the first day, what we did is we, we re-roofed the, the house, and then we, we lifted. We literally, this is so amazing to do. We lifted half of the house. It wasn't a huge house, but we lifted ha- this, 
one side of the house and we poured a cement foundation and you know we, we kept the house above the foundation until it dried and then we lowered the foundation. And then the next day, we fixed all the walls. We gave them walls. We actually gave them two windows. We gave them a second door. We poured the lift up the other side of the house and poured a cement foundation on that side. We poured a, a little cement walkway from one door to the other. And then by the end of the day, the cement foundation had dried and we lowered the house and we connected the house to the foundation. And I got to tell you, by the time we were done fixing up their house, it actually felt better to do that than to actually build them a whole new house. Because they still had their house, we just kind of upgraded it a little bit. We gave them a more stable house to live in. See, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24-27, again, read the yellow with me. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus tells us, when we hear his word, and we don't listen to it, it's like we are building our house on the sand. That's because we will not have a sound, solid foundation to our life. When troubles come, we will panic, and we will worry. When sin comes knocking at the door, we'll answer it. When Satan tries to deceive us, we will have difficulty resisting When sin gets a hold of us, we will have no power to overcome it. And on and on it goes as life brings challenges and troubles and hardships and struggles. We don't know how to deal with it. We will be blown side to side and we will have so much difficulty being the Christ follower we need to be. But to build our house on the rock where we can stand strong in Christ That is what we need to do. And so Jesus tells us his words, and we need to listen, but not only hear, not only understand, but we need to put into practice, which means as you go out into the world this next week, you should be trying to to take this outline and try to say, how can I put these words of Jesus into my life? How can I live in a different way? How can I be less judging, right? How can I be more loving? How can I make sure that my foundation is on Jesus Christ? Put these words into practice, Jesus says. Let Jesus be our salvation. Let Jesus be not just our Savior, but our Lord, the one who guides us through his word and through his spirit and empowers us with his wisdom. We need to let the word of God give us the truth of God that will keep us walking on that narrow path, that right path, that God has for us. We need to understand that the things of this world cannot satisfy us. We need to help others understand that the things of the world cannot satisfy them, that there is a much better way to live, that there is hope in Jesus Christ, hope for a fruitful and joyful and meaningful life. There's a story of a child who got his hand stuck in the family vase. 
It's a very expensive vase. So his father came over and tried to get his hand out of the vase. And he, no matter how hard he pulled, I mean, he didn't pull that hard because he didn't want to hurt his child, but he couldn't pull his child's hand out. And so they thought about breaking the vase, but, you know, it was a very expensive vase. And so they wanted to try everything they could before they had to break the vase. And so finally the father says to the son, I want you to straighten your fingers and point them and then pull your hand out. And the father demonstrated for it as well. And the son looked up at his father and said, Oh, no, Dad, I can't do that. If, if I do that, I'll drop my penny. He thought that the, the only way he could get his penny out was to hold on to it and pull his hand out. And so he didn't want to let go of the penny, and so therefore he couldn't get his hand out. Right? And that sounds so silly that you just say, Just let go of the penny and I'll just dump it out. Okay, son? You know, it's, it's really easy to get your penny. But the son, he couldn't make sense of that. He wanted to hold on to his penny. He did not want to let go of his penny. See, walking through the narrow gate, I think is a good title for this chapter and a good title for this sermon. I mean, Jesus says, come through the door that I have for you. I am the door. Remember, Jesus says, I am the door. Come through me. Walk down the path that I have for you. And this is the way you need to live. But see, there's so many people who don't want to let go of the worldly things, the things that they think are valuable. And so they don't want to let go of that, and they're holding on to it, and so therefore they can't get out of that life and give themselves to Jesus. But Jesus says, there's such a better way to live. A way that is non-judgmental, a way that is loving and forgiving and caring about other people. But see, we have to model that for people, don't we? We can't just speak these words. We have to put them into practice. We have to model that so people say, that's what it looks like to not be judgmental. That's what it looks like to be loving. That's what it looks like to be forgiving. That's what it looks like to walk the path that Jesus has. Narrow is the way and few find it. Oh, I wish we could change that statement. Narrow is the way. But as we go down that narrow way, somehow Jesus makes it broader because more and more and more people want to walk along that path. May we be Christ followers who live out the word of God and who help others to see why it is good to follow Jesus and to trust in him as Savior and Lord. Let us pray.